Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, Bob Tasker III and Antron Brown come on the show. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Red Hot Drivers in Top Fuel and Nitro Funny Car. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polacek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, continuing on throughout this 2021 NHRA Camping World Drag Racing season. It was a spectacular running of the NHRA Lucas Oil Southern Nationals last weekend. The final time we'll be visiting Atlanta Dragway, which we'll talk a little bit about that over the next couple of minutes. And uh, just overall, it was a great weekend. We had some incredible competition. We saw people like Joey Gladstone come back out and just uh, put on a display. I mean, this guy just a few weeks after a horrendous crash um, with a slate of injuries that not only put people down for a long time and sometimes put people down forever um has come back and he was riding the motorcycle as if nothing had happened i know he was sore and i know it hurt but joey gladstone was one of the great stories of the southern nationals as was the return of andrew hines and eddie craywick uh they went out they rode well as one would expect eddie craywick uh, ran the fastest mile an hour the team had over 201 he actually ran the second fastest speed in history but Andrew Hines got his way into the Denso Spark Plugs 200 mile an hour club with his first 200 mile an hour run and his only 200 mile an hour run of the weekend certainly a lot of work has gone into that program has gone into adapting that EBR bodywork onto the chassis that the Vance and Hines team is running and boy they certainly saw the benefits of that bodywork and certainly of that aerodynamic advantage that those bodies had over the previous Harley Davidson bodies. When we talk about the winner of Pro Stock Motorcycle, we talk about Scotty Polachek, who had an incredibly dominant weekend. Really was um, uh, basically a perfect weekend for Scotty, running the table, number one qualifier, wins the race. His wife, Suze, is there. And uh, his wife, Suze, was not there last year when he got his first win at the U.S. Nationals. She was there this weekend. It added another really nice fulfilling emotional kind of layer to that win for Scotty Polachek who was racing the boss he was racing Matt Smith in the final round Matt went red by I believe a thou and it was Scotty Polachek with the strutmasters.com motorcycle getting it done Scotty is without question a championship contender this year we look at how he's qualified over the first three races we look at how he's competed over the first three races, and we see a rider and a motorcycle that are working in complete unison, and a rider that is, in my estimation, riding with more confidence than he's had at maybe any point in his career. He knows what type of motorcycle he is racing. He knows what his own ability is, and uh, we have watched those things kind of meet in this really cool nexus over the last couple of races that have um, showed us exactly who and what Scotty Polachek should and can be on that bike, which is top shelf championship level contender big credit goes to matt smith he is giving scotty polachek the tools necessary to win even against himself so it's uh it's a very cool thing to watch over there in pro stock bike we look at the other race categories pro stock eliminator it was as i called it in the final round very poetic for greg anderson again another kind of crushing weekend for greg anderson winning the race 
number one qualifier, and he has horsepower that nobody has at this point. Um, yes, he had his issues in Vegas, a, a guy that in in some respect he should have won the Vegas race as well, was the number one qualifier. Again, performance kind of going away, but it didn't work out for him there. It did work out for him in Gainesville. It did work out for him in Atlanta. We all know the story is, if you've watched the broadcast, we talked about it extensively, but this win puts him within one of the all-time career pro stock leader in wins, which is Warren Johnson, who has 97. This was Greg's 96th. We know Greg's history of being Warren Johnson's crew chief for so many years, so it really is the student chasing the master, and he's only one race win away from catching him. He did tie Warren Johnson for all-time victories at Atlanta, which again was very poetic in this last running of the race. WJ had five, Greg Anderson had four coming in, and he closes the deal on Sunday afternoon to end this chapter of history at Atlanta Dragway. No one will ever be able to claim a sixth because that's going to be it. The racetrack has been sold. It is going to be, at the end of the season, demolished, and the the area that it sits on will be turned into housing. So in those two categories, it was you know number one qualifier winning the race, as so often happens in our pro stock divisions, bike and car, just because of the nature of how tight the racing is and how hard um, how hard it is to overcome those performance disadvantages that some people find themselves in. In top fuel, classic, classic, classic final. Antron Brown, Steve Torrance, Antron Brown out muscling Brian Karate, Mark Oswald out muscling Steve Torrance's team was a fantastic race all the way down to the end of the track and Antron Brown grabbed uh, his victory and his first win since the finals of last year in Las Vegas and he beat Steve Torrance and he beat the Capco team his team beat the Capco team in the only way that anybody can and it's what makes it so compelling and interesting like when Tony Schumacher won in Texas last year near the end of the season it was just a throwdown side by side incredible performance it wasn't about pedaling it wasn't about uh who's able to you know hang with some car that's sideways going through the lights it was about who one gets off the starting line on time which is what drag racing always is about but then two simply which team had the guts to put the more aggressive tune-up in and this time it was the more aggressive tune-up for antron brown in the matco Sirius XM, Toyota, Top Fuel Dragster, of course, with global electronic technology as well. We're going to talk to Antron during this show as we're going to talk to our funny car winner. But one of the reasons that the Capco team has been so difficult to beat over the years and continues to be to this moment is that the only way to actually beat them is like having to beat you know a heavyweight fighter like George Foreman. You, you have to outpunch them. There is no trickery. There is no chicanery. There is no crossing your fingers and hoping for luck because you're not going to get it. You have to be better than them. You cannot rely on them to make a mistake because they're not going to. And frankly, they didn't make a mistake in that final either. The tune-up they had in the car would have handled basically every other machine on the grounds except the one Antron Brown was driving. So to their credit, they stepped up, did what they had to do, and won that race fair and square in a, just a fantastic final round. Tony Pedregon said, you know, as much as that win in Vegas last year was great, this particular victory made him feel as though Antron Brown is back in a very complete way. And we now go to Charlotte to this four-wide race. We have a weekend off coming up, and then we go next week to Charlotte for the four-wide race. And, um, to me, that's the that's the great litmus test, right? If they show up to Charlotte and they're able to hang, 
and the conditions that are available with Steve Torrance and the Capco team with the other premier teams in top fuel, then yeah, I will buy 100% into what Tony's saying. At this moment, I want to talk to Antron about that, and we're going to do that a little bit later in the show. Nitro Funny Car, our guest uh, this week is Bob Tasca III, along with Antron, as I mentioned, and Bob Tasca III is having the greatest beginning to a season that he has ever had. Had a good race in Gainesville, wins the four-wide race in Vegas, wins the race at Atlanta Dragway, the Southern Nationals, last weekend. And these wins are not fluky. These are not uh, falling uphill type of, oh, got away with that one, got away with this one. These are John Schaefer, Mike Neftuned, Bob Tasca III, dedicated, driven victories. And we look at who Bob Tasca had to beat uh, over the course of the Southern Nationals weekend. Went from Paul Lee in the first round to Blake Alexander in the second round to Matt Hagan in the third round to John Force in the final. And you want to talk about kind of an escalation there. Paul Lee's car is fast. They've just got to work on the consistency there. They know it. We know it. But they can run a number. Bob Tasca's car was set up to run a number, to compete on that level. They were able to get advanced. Blake Alexander and Jim Head have made strides with their car. They were uh, early qualifying leaders. The car, unfortunately for them, they could not keep all eight pipes lit all the way to the finish line. But they ran a string of low 4-0 runs, which sets up a team like Tasca's needing. you got to get the car likely into the high 390s, high mid 390s. And then when you're doing that, you have to understand that any mistake you make, that this guy's going to drive around you. And had they made a mistake, Alexander was right there to, to capitalize, but they didn't. Semifinal round, he beats Matt Hagen on a whole shot, which is uh, an incredible thing to do as Matt Hagen is just rock solid on the starting line. He is one of the most rock solid drivers on the starting line. But these things happen. Bob Tasca was lightning quick out of the blocks and got himself to the finish line first. And then he moves to the final round and he defeats John Forrest, a man who was so instrumental in getting Bob Tasca developed in the alcohol funny car ranks as well as in the Nitro Funny Car ranks when he first got uh, got rocking and rolling. That car was, or his team was really, back in the day, almost a satellite team of John Forrest Racing. Those things have changed over the years. The relationship has changed, as they all do over the years, but it was still very neat for Bob Tasker to walk over and give John Forrest a sportsman handshake, if you will, at the end of the final round of Nitro Funny Car. The big question again becomes, do we see Bob Tasker III continue on this? We saw him win back-to-back races a few years ago. In my mind, it feels different now than it did then. Uh, different team in some respects with personnel and who's working on the race car. But over the course of this weekend, it was a spectacular way for the Southern Nationals to close out. Uh, we had sellout crowds multiple days of the weekend and you know traffic backed up onto the interstate. Certainly a great showing of, you know, respect and love and admiration for the facility by drag racing fans in that northeastern corner of Georgia. It was really, really fun, bittersweet, uh, beyond probably anybody's expectation. We all knew it would kind of feel weird leaving there Sunday night, and it felt really weird because uh, that was one of the first tracks I ever traveled to as a as an announcer when I branched out from the world of New England Dragway back about 20 years ago. Now, Atlanta Dragway is one of the first places I was ever paid to go. So it has some uh, special meaning in my heart, special memories, of course, for everybody that was there. But I'm glad we sent the old girl out on an absolutely high note. Speaking of high notes, we're going to transition into our first guest. He is the guy playing the highest notes right now in the world of Nitro Funny Car Drag Racing, Bob Tasker III, the points leader, and the guy that everybody's chasing in the flopper category. Bob, how you doing? Very good, Brian. How you doing? Good. This has been uh, this has been a fairly uh, successful beginning to this year for you guys. It's unreal. You guys are 
on top of your game in ways that I'm not sure we've seen this team be on top of their game. Hey, listen, we're you know we've been very fortunate. Uh, you look at I watched that race when I got home, and man, there's a lot of rounds that could have gone the other way. But you know we're working real hard. The team's gelling. You know, Mike and John, what can I what can I say? They're making the right calls at the right time. And you know, hey, listen, we've gotten a little luck too. So I've been on on the other side of that thing uh, more than my fair share, and it's nice to be on the side we're on. But uh, no, we're gonna you know hopefully keep the momentum rolling. I mean, our goal was always to. You know, try to have a solid place in that top five, you know, going into the countdown when the points reset. I mean, you know, obviously you can't run away with the points lead with, yeah. with the way they have the countdown. But, um, hey, number one is uh, better than number five, I guess, right? <laughs> That's an absolute fact. You know, it's interesting because a couple seasons ago we watched uh, you and your team uh, win two races back-to-back. Team was a little bit different personnel-wise. And it was when you went – and won those back-to-back races then, it was almost just kind of establishing the fact that, yes, this team can win races. When you do it this year, it really does feel different for a lot of different ways from me on the outside looking in, just in the sense that this is less about a confirmation of your ability to win races and more about a confirmation of your ability to be a championship-contending team. Is that the same way you feel about this? Yeah, you know, I, I really you know have worked hard to get to this point in my career, Brian. I mean, I, I said it I was talking to Kyle Koretsky um, in the winner's circle. I said, you know, it, it took took years. It, t- it takes years to put the right people in place and get the right chemistry. And, you know, I, I really, you know, bringing uh, John Schaefer on board uh, with Mike Neff, I mean, that tandem, they've won championships. I mean, it's a proven commodity. And then we've, you know, we've got some young guys on our team that, that have really gelled. And we got some some veterans on our team that have also won championships. And, you know, I think it's it's just getting the right people in the right places. Obviously, I can't say enough about my sponsors and Ford. I mean, you know, going through one of the most difficult times that we've any of us have been through. You know, they stood by me. They gave me the resources to keep my team together. And you know, this whole off season, they've worked hard to find you know those hundreds and thousands of a second out of this race car. And and we really have gelled now. Like anything else, I mean, what makes drag racing so exciting is on any given Sunday, anyone can go out and win. But I just think that our team, you know, at this point, you know, we have the best shot of winning that we've ever had, any race car I've ever had. And and it's making those last-minute calls and the guys bolting it together and the drivers doing the job. So, you know, I'll take a little luck, <laughs> whatever I can get it. And and we'll go we'll go from there. But no, this is the best chance I've ever had at running for the championship. Obviously, you know you mentioned Ford and uh, the primary sponsor of the car, and they've they've invested in the in the the development of the body and, and a lot of other areas as well. You know, one of the things I find so interesting and cool and impressive is that when you won your first race of the season out there in Vegas, uh, one of the first guys to to comment or share or or kind of bask in the win was. Jim Farley, the guy who runs Ford Motor Company. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's such a privilege. You know, people ask, you know, what's it like to drive a, a Nitro Funny Guys? It's a privilege for me. I mean, to be able to represent Ford and the Ford family. I mean, Jim Farley is my biggest fan out there in Dearborn. Trust me, he is so excited about what we're doing. But then you get emails from Bill Ford and Etzel Ford and Henry Ford Third. I mean, you know, the family is so engaged in, in racing and winning that it's um it's just awesome to be able to be out there and, and give them the team they really deserve. I mean, Ford has been in the sport of drag racing a long time. Yeah. They've supported champions from Bob Glidden to John Forrest and Tony Pedregon. Uh, so to have a car that can go out there and, 
and win races and and compete for a championship. Uh, that's that's what they deserve, and and I'm just proud to be able to, to deliver them a program like that. We got a lot of lot of races in front of us, and certainly a long road ahead. But we we definitely have the confidence. You know, I tell my team we're not cocky. We're confident. We're confident that we can win. That doesn't mean we're going to win every race, obviously, but we are confident that this team can roll in hot track, cold track, four wide, six wide, two wide, whatever <laughs> they throw at us, Brian. We got a car and a team that can go out there and compete for that win, and and that's all you can ask for. You know, we got a couple of races before we get there, but we made a, a fairly significant uh, deal of it on the TV show that the, the race in Epping, New Hampshire, is, is absolutely going to happen. The you know the racetrack's been working with their local government and everything else, and NHRA wants us to get the word out that we are going to be racing in Epping this year. And obviously, when, when you won those back-to-back races a couple years back, it, it led you into that Epping race. And I know there's really nothing more you'd ever want to do other than win a championship than to take one home at your home racetrack and my home racetrack as well. But I think it's important for our region, just like every else we go to let people know that we're back you know we're back up here and we have a certainly a, a very passionate fan base in this new england uh, area and a lot of people are rooting for you so i'm as excited as you are i think to get back to epping a few uh a few races down the road here oh absolutely i mean the whole atmosphere this year i mean i, I get chills just thinking about sitting in that car and looking at a sold out atlanta yeah. and the pits are full you know and obviously coming back to new england i've gotten so many phone calls and text messages I think we can. I, I think I can pretty much sell the place out with just <laughs> fans that come to see me. But no, this is this is what it's all about. Last year, you know, people have said, "Well, you know, what changed?" I mean, for whatever reason, we just never got into a rhythm. I mean, yeah. the whole mood at the races was different. Very much and so. And it's just it's so awesome to be back and and really getting back to normal. You know, not just in racing, but in life in general. You know, one of the things that uh, came out last week, NHRA uh, made an announcement, a press release that said that they're going to work on developing uh, some class rules for electric cars in sportsman drag racing. Well, I think some people took this as electric cars are going to replace funny cars or whatever, <laughs> whatever at national events, which is not the case. No. But I want to talk to you about this because... Um, you have a unique perspective here, not just in the fact that uh, you're a Nitro Funny Car racer, but in the fact that you work very closely with Ford Motor Company in advanced product planning. You're on some committees and stuff like that. And the electrification of cars is not something that's going away. And I, in my opinion, drag racing needs to wrap its arms around this as quickly and as robustly as possible. Well, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny, uh, uh, Jim Farley agrees too. My first text yesterday morning, was the article on NHRA's announcement, and he said one word, thoughts, with a question mark. And, you know, I'll tell you my thoughts. I mean, I, by no means am I speaking on behalf of NHRA, sure, but I, I think it's a I think it's a top-bottom approach. I think you have the, um, you know, the, the electric cars. I mean, heck, Teslas and the new Mustang Mach-E, you can take it to a racetrack and, and race it today. Uh, but I do think that you need a top approach. So my opinion, and I've been very vocal about this, is that take the electric Cobra Jet uh, platform, which we raced last year, a very exciting car, ran low eights, uh, great speed. Take that package, put it in a pro stock car. Yep. And, and, and let's go out there and show the fans with the absolute latest technology, launch control, traction control, you know, battery output. I mean, everything that the OE OEs can throw at it, and let's bring their engineers into the teams. Okay, whether it be you know Toyota, Chevy, Ford, and then let's go out and race these cars and and show the fans that you know seven second race cars 
Uh, they'll be very consistent. I think they'll sound cool with, with straight cut gears like the Cobra Jet did and, and showcase ultimate straight line electric performance in, in a way that only NHRA can showcase. And I think the OEs will love it. And then off of that, you know, crate motor combinations. And there's so many things that we can spin off of that to let the everyday racer go out and race. Uh, and, and, and you're absolutely right. NHRA, if they don't get behind this, it'll be a shame. I, I, I believe that they will. I know Ford's excited about it. I'm sure the other OEs are excited about it. But that's if you're asking Bob Tasker what I would do, that's exactly what I would do. You know, and I agree. And it's it to some people think you're a heretic if you if you think this way. But I also feel like you know they were. Uh, there was a time in history when people were like, why do we need electric light bulbs? We have gas lamps. They work fine. You know, <laughs> you can make this argument um, that you don't need to advance or change things uh, about anything, but ultimately technology doesn't stop. And I think to, to drag racing's benefit, uh, we're in a unique position because when IndyCar or when NASCAR decides to you know hybridize their racing series and ultimately probably go to electrify it, um, it totally changes the entire experience for their fan base. So many people are like, well, the noise, the noise, the noise. But I think in drag racing, when we look at this down the road, five years, however many years, less than that, to your point, we can be a, a motorsport where you show up and you still get your eardrums blown out by your nitro funny car. Yeah, no, and, we yeah, can, and we can still showcase the electric stuff. It's it's the best of both worlds. Uh, absolutely. I, I, it's like having your cake and eat it, too. I mean, I mean, NHRA, we have classes. We have different different classes, whether it's pro stock bike or pro stock. or you know. So this is going to be a, another class. I think it's going to be a, an extremely exciting class. Uh, we're at the very beginning of it, but I, I totally agree. It doesn't have to change our sport. I even suggested, I said, I'd like to see this electric pro stock paired up with a nitro car. So it's in the pitch with the teams, and fans get to see the – the electric technology and obviously the nitro technology. It's going to be a little wild, Brian, before they outrun us in that nitro car. Absolutely. But, but but who knows? You know, you don't know what the future holds with solid state batteries. But it's it's very exciting. I tell you, driving the car, it's a completely different experience than anything I've ever driven. It's a it's very flat. Doesn't have a lot of rotating mass. Uh, it's it's real straight line, true straight line acceleration, and and I think the fans. As this evolves, they're still going to get to see everything that they love to see when they come to a drag race. But I think they're going to fall in love with it. They're going to see some really cutting-edge technology, and and the performance is going to be really unparalleled. Heck, everyone's going to want to race to Denver because oh, yeah, uh, we won't air. have to worry about making horsepower <laughs> if he is thin. So that'll be that'll be the marquee track. Uh, forget these sea level race tracks. Uh, where you're going to see the quickest and fastest times. You know, I've, I've been able to spend some time uh, in a Mustang Mach-E, had, had one for a week uh, from Ford out of their, their press fleet, and it's uh, it's a great experience. I've, uh, thankfully, outside of uh, NHRA, I do a lot of other stuff, and I've been able to drive almost every mass-produced electric car since they really hit the, hit the market. First one I ever had was a Cadillac ELR, which was a car that they sold very few of ever. Um, and, it, and the evolution of, of taking that technology in, in a Mach-E, People just don't understand the driving experience. They think it's going to lack some sort of a soul or lack some sort of passion because no, of things not are making noise. But you cannot beat the instantaneous torque that these things make. You stand on that thing at 30 miles an hour, and it will plug you in the seat like nothing else. It's it's unreal. Yeah, I just got I just came back from Atlanta, and uh, my Mach-E was waiting for me. I ordered one, and, 
and got it in and took it home last night for the first time. I've driven them obviously before, but but I absolutely love the car. I absolutely love everything about it. It's like it's like freedom. You don't ever have to go to a gas station again. I pulled in my garage, plugged it in, woke up this morning, a full charge. Um, my wife loves it so much. Uh, she wants one. So it really is. It's they're, they're exhilarating to drive, instant torque, almost at any point you want to hit the throttle. And then it's like dead silence, that quiet driving. Um, but it's, uh, it's quite an experience. It's an experience. I tell people is, that when is. you get an electric car, it's an experience because it really changes a lot of the things that you do in your life. Uh, particularly not having to go to a gas station. That's a fact. Now, just to transition back, a couple more questions here. Uh, Vegas was meaningful, obviously, for the win, but doubly so. Your entire family was there, effectively, including your dad. And this was your dad, I believe, his first return to the racetrack since he has uh, battled his way through some health stuff last year. So it was uh, doubly, doubly cool. Yeah, it was it was really special to have everyone there. My wife, my kids, I even had my dog Oliver with me. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But my, but my dad was, um, you know, it was great to see him, you know, back to, to good health. He had a, a tough, tough year last year. Uh, and then he was with me again in Atlanta. So he went from, he hadn't been with me in a long time when I, you know, since I've won a race. He thought I was a jinx. I said, no, dad, definitely, <laughs> definitely not a jinx. But that's what it's about. It's family. You see so many race teams out there, you know, with, with their dads and moms. And uh, it's, it's what we do, right? Oh, absolutely, and I'm interested in kind of what his take is on on electrification, uh, necess- not necessarily in drag racing, but just in general. I mean, this is a guy who you know grew up with your grandfather and has saw the rise of the Cobra Jets, yeah. uh, saw Bill Lawton kicking ass in the in the Tasca Ford Mustang, funny cars and AFX cars over the years, and so he really has seen an incredible development of technology and performance. What's his take on kind of where we're headed? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. His take is very similar to most of the people that I approach with this. Is they're very skeptical. Yeah. Ah, uh, I'm not interested in that. I'm a, <laughs> so. But you, then you know what happens, Brian? And I and anyone that comments on some of my posts, I say the same thing. Before you comment, go drive one. And and he gets in it. And I saw him. It was a couple months ago. Actually, we had a we had a loaner marquee, and I saw my dad in it. And then the next day, I saw him in it again. And I went up to him. I said, "Hey, what do you what do you think?" He goes, "Bobby." He goes, "I really like it." He said, "This <laughs> thing is unbelievable." And that's that's really what what I I you know I sense from a lot of these you know passionate you know gasoline friends of mine is when they get in it, they really like it. Yeah, it's it's a totally it's a totally different experience, and like you said, it's 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 something that at this point in history is continuing to evolve. We're all going to watch and see kind of what the future is, but it's really neat, like you said, when somebody actually kind of gets in there, holds the wheel, and drives it, and they come back, they go, oh, "Okay, opinion is revised." Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, Bob, thanks so much for taking some time today. Congratulations on uh, this the red hot start to the season. It's going to be fun to watch the Nitro Funny Car category four wide again when we get to Charlotte, and uh, I guess. One last question for you is uh, your personal history at Charlotte ain't too shabby, right? No, no, not too shabby at all. I've, I've been to the finals actually in, a, in uh, one of the, the, the four wide events and, you know, love racing there. It's a great surface and I think you're going to see some exceptional times. You know, no pressure, Brian. I, I missed the call with you last week. You said, listen, uh, we can't do it then. We'll have to do it next week, but you have to win or you can't come on. 
And I said, well, all right, Brian, no pressure. So I guess, you know, if I want to be on this show next week, I'm going to have to win again. So we're going to do the best we can. Got to stand and deliver, man. Bob, thanks so much. Congratulations on the success. And I look forward to uh, talking more electric stuff with you in the future. Thanks, man. See you soon. Bye. So now we transition from our Nitro Funny Car champion at the Lucas Oil NHRA Southern Nationals into the top fuel category. Antron Brown is the guy that won on Sunday afternoon, defeating Steve Torrance in an instant classic top fuel final. Antron, how you doing, man? Well, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, brother. Just, uh, you know, that's one of those deals, man. When you come off Atlanta, how you just, you know, it felt good to get that win, brother. But I never knew that we're going to have to go through like the best of the best of the top fuel class every round. <laughs> well, that's, and to me, that's the story. I mean, the story is you had to face, literally, you went Doug Coletta, Billy Torrance, Brittany Forrest, and then Steve in the final, and uh, you didn't blink, neither did your whole team blink the entire day, and it was very, very impressive. I mean, it was a, as you said, you had to go through the best cars in the entire fleet to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it is we've, we've been on the mend, and we've been working on our combination, and, you know, Brian Karate, all of our boys, you know, our Mackle boys and Mark Oswald, I mean, they've been working really, really hard, brother. And uh, we've all been putting the work in, and we've been making steps. Like, you know, since last year at the end of the year when we won uh, Vegas, and then we came out and we've been going rounds, and we're not qualifying where we want to qualify at, but we're getting together on race day, and we're learning so much, and we're growing. And on race day, we came in, once we got down track the first round, we're like, all right, now we're in the game, and next round we stepped it up, and the track surprisingly, even though it got hotter, it got better, and and that's where that's where our team shines at. They're they're able to adapt to situations like pretty quick, and that's what you have to be to be to be competitive and to compete out there. And I tell you one thing, brother, it's like I looked at it now, I was just like, you know, we never worry about who we race. We just try to be the best we can be because we knew that we had to step up no matter who we race because there's so many great cars now not just the people we race but josh hart's out there doing his thing i mean you know you got the coletta force i mean dougie brown it could have went either way he could have been the final win in the race so i mean that's just how tight it is right now yeah i mean the the largest margin of victory you had the whole day was forty-seven thousandths, and you know i I think every you know every win is great of course but when you have a, a a sunday like this particular sunday where it was complete team unity in terms of you are money on the starting line well, max variation of maybe 200s from the from your your quote-unquote worst light which is a 65 best light is a 45 in the semis and then the car itself i mean 75 to 81 was the entire variance over the course of the day so i have to imagine a win like this that has this type of personality carries with it a little bit something extra meaning you didn't have to pedal your way through two rounds or you didn't have to get a red light to move on i mean this was really the definition of a team victory absolutely and, and, and it has played out it played out and we put the work in and we were trying to run well you know I mean, trust me where we turned the switch on was after the first round we were stepping it up to race billy we didn't slow our car down to run at 81 and trust me billy wasn't trying to run at 82 right you get what i mean and we came up there uh i know brian and mark and and all of our guys they they turned the car up to where we didn't we didn't want to run a 79 we wanted to run like a 77 you get what i mean and we came up there they put a little bit more power to a little bit more clutch but the track got so much better even though it was a little bit hotter that it ate our tune up up like our car was just dead slow because it ate it up and i guarantee you did the same thing for billy 
And and you know it did when you see Brittany go out there and drop the 75. I mean, I guarantee you Grubby was trying to run a 72 and it slowed up. Yeah, exactly. You, you get what I mean? I'm, I'm telling you, everybody was off probably about 300 to what they were trying, two to 300 to what they were trying to run. You know what? Uh, oh, go for go it. Ahead. No, go for it. And and when you and when you see that and you come back, that's when, like you know, Brian looked at it and goes, "All right, Mark is all right." And and then they step it up, brother. We went back out there. They gave us more power, a little bit more clutch, and we came out in that semis when we raced Brittany and we went a seventy-eight. So it picked it up three hundred. So the move we made from the second round to the semis was monumental. Because what it did was it set us up for the final. Because when we made that move, we knew how much it took to pick it up 300s. And I know when we went in the final, we weren't taking those Capco boys lightly at all because they could throw down their three-time champs in a row, and they've won the most out of anybody over the last several years. So we went in there and we're like, all right, if we want this, we can't go up there and expect to run another 78 and bring it home. And we, we, we put the calls to it to try to push you up the run a low 75 or a high 74. And it responded. It liked it what we did from there to go from the 81 to the 78. And it responded, liked it to go from that 78 to the 75. And, it, and, and I mean, it was everything we need to get that job done. And, uh, and hats off to my boys, man. That's, that's all the hard work that they've been putting in. Yeah. And you know, you, you know this cause you've raced there forever and you've had great success there, but typically like when I saw the sun start to break through the clouds on Sunday, I thought, here we go, because you know, as well as I do, that place typically turns into a grease pit when it gets warm. I mean, that, that track has a, has a notorious reputation of being almost un, undrive downable when the temperature comes up. And so I think all of us were a little bit shocked during that second round when the sun was out that we saw the ET we did and then the clouds came back and we knew it was going to be time to, to really kind of cinch the belts down well for sure and, and that's the thing that that's the hardest part that it's hard for you know that's that's why a tuning job is so stressful you know what i mean and we get all the data from all of our trd boys about the racetrack and atlanta's no surprise is an older racetrack and it's got some bumps and stuff that you have to navigate down where you can unload your car and make it unsettled so you got to be careful with all that. When the temperature comes out, even makes it even more tippy toe. You know what I mean? Where yeah. you got to really be careful. But the thing about it is, I think the surprise of it was is that that track got good. It really it did. got really, it got really, really, really good. But the thing about it is, you got to strategize and know what it can handle because you don't want to throw races away by by going out there and overpowering the track and smoking the tires. It's like we kick ourselves in the butt from Vegas of the four wide yeah. because we had a deal that happened to us where we had a malfunction where it went up and it got into one of our deals in our car that actually made our clutch go faster uh. and it caused us to smoke the tires. And we were just trying to go down the track like we did before, but then we gave a little bit more power so the car could have a little bit, you know, more snatch on the star line, which it did got, gave me a good reaction time and we're off to the races but then it actually got into one of our deals where our clutches started going too fast and it caused us to smoke the tires. And we're like, we just gave that one away. We just gave it away. And, and, and it hurt us because I mean, they went a uh, Steve, went to 81, but he wasn't trying to run to 81 in the final cause he had a malfunction too. You get what I mean? Yeah. So, so we're just like, Oh my God. I mean, we just needed to, I mean, we just needed to repeat what we ran around before we've been good to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, absolutely. It's uh. But, you know, I think one of the craziest things or one of the neatest things about, you know, the, the, 
the Capco team that I think a lot of fans kind of miss. They, they feel like these guys are invincible somehow, but they're really not. They're, it's just a matter of they make so few mistakes, and, and that's what they've yes. kind of been their hallmark is they just don't make mistakes. And really, they didn't make any mistakes on Sunday either. That final round was unbelievable. And so, you know, for you and your team, when you have to kind of slay the beast, and the only way to slay that beast is to stand in the ring with them and, and throw haymakers, right? And so talk to me a little bit about that in terms of, when you have, when you know, you know, you got to show up there and do something, and you're able to do it. What does that help you carry forward to the next race? Outside of well, the performance, just the mental aspect. Well, it, it gives you, it gives you a great deal of confidence and momentum because you know you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just got, you got to line it up. And and remember, it's like, it's not like we've never been here before. Sure, absolutely. Our team, our team's been in the same predicament as the Capco boys, where we went a five year stretch that we just not dominated, but we won a lot of races. Like we won at least five to six races every year for like six years. You know what I mean? We've been to the finals, won championships, you know what I mean? But what they have done is that they have brought a string, a consistency where they have the same personnel. You know what I mean? It's like they have a dream team. You get what I mean? Like they literally have a dream team that is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Where just like you say, they go up, they they press hard and they when they step up when they step up and it's a great thing when it's a great thing when you can actually turn a dial on your race car and it does exactly what you want it to do. You get what I mean? And and that's what they have done throughout the years. And the thing about it is when they went to that final, you think they were trying to run a, a seventy uh, like you know, a seventy a seventy nine? No. No. You know what I mean? No, they weren't trying to run a seventy nine. They were trying to run a 75, trust me. And the track just gobbled it up, and we were fortunate to do what we do. But now, going forward, our guys, we're just going to keep on pressing and doing what we do. And the more laps we get, the better we're going to get. And and what you got to remember is that besides Bryant, my crew chief, Mark, the co-crew chief, and Brad, our assistant crew chief, and Matt Zachman and Tyler Allison, all the other guys on our team are brand new. We lost a lot of our guys to the COVID stuff where they decide they want to stay home and switched up. You know yeah. what I mean? Where they're like, they've been on the road for 15 years and say, you know what? We want to stay home now. So we're building a new team and we're getting that synergy together. And we got guys that are, are, are hungry and they want to win. And this is just the start of what's more to come where we just got to keep doing what we do. And, and the main thing is growing. And that's one thing our team, we will try new things. We build upon it, and now we're growing. And now it feels good that knowing that, hey, we can compete with anybody and everybody out there. And you know me, Brian. Let's do what I do, brother. Oh, absolutely. I, I put the work in all the time. I never stop working. And and these are those moments where you got to leave on time. The car's got to be right. But more, but more important that all of our team guys are pulling the rope in the same direction. Yeah, and that was and that was going to be kind of my next question. We always talk about you know this confidence and momentum thing, and it normally falls. We normally have this conversation on a, like a driver crew chief level, but the reality is like the guy torquing the mains down needs to have that same level of confidence, right? Because when we, to me, so oftentimes we see people make the mistake against the Steve Torrance where they press a little too hard or there's there's just a small mistake made in assembling the car. So the confidence level it, it really is, is the driver crew chief end of it's one thing, but it, it really needs to go all the way down to the roots of the organization. Oh, it, it does. It does. And what I got to do, Brian, you got to think about this here. We brought in a new guy on the offseason. The first one we got was Andrew Haliski. He came over, he used to work with Mike Green on Austin Prox car. 
Then we got Joey D who came out of retirement from, from my crew chief's pizza shop, but he used to work with, <laughs> he, used, he, used to, he was a manager there, but he used to work with Jimmy Proc and on Jack Beckman's car when he was at DSR and he worked at force for a little bit. Then we got Adam, Adam cave that came in from over at uh, Mike Salinas's, but he used to work for Bob Vandergrift and he's been on numerous teams, very sharp kid. And then we got big John, big John Gilbert, who used to be the assistant uh, clutch guy on Jack Beckman's car. But when the team folded, like, you know, went down, yep. you know what I mean? Cause the funny went away, he went back home in the landscape and we brought him out of retirement and we brought all these guys in and all of them has that, that look in their eye. And yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. the look in the eye I'm talking about is, is not, they don't want to win. They're doing the right things to win. They're staying at the shop late. They're going over stuff like our procedure. Like we never went to, like they never been to a race. We got two of them before we went to uh, Vegas. Okay. You know what I mean? And then they're in the shop spending the time going through routines over and over in the shop to make sure they can put the clutch in right. John, Al's making sure the blower stuff's right, going through all of our blower stuff. And then, you know what I mean? You got all these guys doing their thing. And then we haven't even been to a race. We're like, we need another test session to go out so we can even make sure everything goes right. <laughs> and we'll start off racing with them in Vegas. You know what I mean? So my hat's off to all those guys because people only see what happens in the race results that happen on Sunday. Yeah. But they don't see all the crazy hours that go in. But I see it. And I'm there right there in the trenches with them. And, we, and I see it. And that's why when we held that trophy up, in Atlanta, all those days and nights in the shop, them flying in, them spending Saturday and Sundays when other teams got off, putting that work in so we can mesh well together. And that result paid off when we held that Wally at Atlanta this last weekend. So when we look at, we look at Charlotte, obviously, four-wide race coming up, and it's, once again, second and final one of the year. But, you know, the difference to me in the Charlotte and Vegas tracks is I'm not sure I ever saw a four-lane racetrack as even as Las Vegas was over the course of that race. I mean, I didn't see any real – and even talking to some of the crew chiefs, they said it was about as mirror image perfect across four lanes as you can get. Charlotte is a different track style profile. We know kind of its history. It's a very smooth place. Doesn't tend to hold a lot of rubber on the starting line. So it really is kind of a reprogramming, not just for you, but certainly for the approach of the team, I'd have to guess. Well, for sure. Every time you go to a different track, is a different approach. Uh, the, the good part about Charlotte is, is that we know they're going to they're gonna prep it well because it's a four-lane racetrack, just like they did in Vegas. So that's the only thing we got working for us is that the same crew that does the racetracks at Vegas now, like Jeff Foster and his guys from Bruton Smith race facilities, they're coming to Charlotte. So they're going to have the track preformed. Awesome. So then when any trade gets there, it'll be off to a good start. Cause the one thing we want to do is we always want to put on a great show for the fans. Absolutely. And we want, and we want great racing, but that's something that we have to adapt to. And I think coming from, Atlanta, which we haven't raced on for a whole year, period, which was a very green racetrack, and we only had two qualifying runs, that NHRA, my hat's off to them, because qualifying didn't go the way that everybody wanted it to, but NHRA did that work on Saturday night and gave us a great racetrack for Sunday. So I, I see going into Charlotte, they're going double-dip Charlotte, so we go off to a good start. And I think all the crew chiefs, we're going to have three rounds of qualifying there, so I think that extra round is going to help out everybody. 
I think so too. And um, you know, like just as a you know selfish guy that I am, I, I'm I'm all in on three rounds of qualifying. I'd be all in on four too, but then again, I'm spending other people's money at that point. So I get the whole two round thing. It does add an element, and obviously the car counts are going to be better in Charlotte. We already have 17 dragsters on the sheet. And I guess the last the kind of topic I want to broach with you at this point is when I look at every category across our Camping World Series. I have a really tough time picking another class outside of top fuel that has become the most precision driving class we have. We always talk about pro stock in this regard, but when I look across the board at at reaction times, where everybody lands, and even ETs over the course of a weekend, top fuel really has become this incredibly difficult class to win it. You got to be on point, and and that's just a testament of the level of people that we have coming into class and just their willingness that they want to win. You know what I mean? They're not talking about it. Everybody's being about it. Like David Grubnick, I call him Einstein. <laughs> that joker, uh, yeah. Grubenstein is no joke. And, <laughs> and you know the Capco boys, brother, they've got, they've got that mystery oil in there that they're just making that stuff happen. It's just a well-oiled grease machine, and they've got a lot of data on what they're doing. And then when you look at not just them – when you look at all the other teams that's coming up, the Coletta cars, then you look at Josh Hart. Hell up. And don't forget about, you know, Davis and Ashley's team. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they dropped low ET eliminations, brother. They won a 74 first round. They oh, dropped it was nasty. And, and Justin, he, he annihilates the tree. So I'm like, I'm looking at the class. I'm just like, man, like, and you got Mike Salinas with Allen Johnson. You know what I mean? And, like, these teams are only going to get better the more races they get underneath the belt. The drivers are getting their groove. Midway through the season, like, if you had a fantasy picks on top fuel, I think you, I think nobody will get it any race unless you stay with one driver because you'll eventually get it because they will win. You get what I mean? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's going to be a, almost a, like a, a carousel, so to speak, throughout this first half, three quarters of the season, which, you know, to me is is obviously the, the great scenario if you're a fan because as interesting and as unbelievable as it is when somebody runs into the countdown with a, you know, 9,000-point lead that gets reduced, to me it sets up way more interesting when everybody goes in kind of knotted up because at that point – you know, if nobody dominates the regular season, the math says nobody's going to dominate the countdown. And that means we're talking about yeah. Pomona Sunday afternoon for a championship, which you've lived that life before. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And you you got to show up. You know what I mean? And that's one thing that I like, you know, I like, I love about our team very much is that we always grow and we get better as the year goes on. And, and that's always been our, that's always been our strength is that by the time the countdown comes in, we're usually locked in, knowing what we're doing, and we have enough runs under the belt to to navigate through it. And and that's what the Capco team has has done for the last three years. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so to compete with them and to do what we're doing, we've got it. We just gotta. What we have to do is, you gotta be just as good as they are every round. And and that's what you want to do. I mean, they're the champs, and if you want to win a championship, it goes through them. You know what I mean? So. We've got to be able to do what we do in this last week, and we're able to be in that realm. And as long as we're there, we have a chance. You know what I mean? And and I'm not going to stop from putting my work in where I've got to – like, you know, I'm in the ballpark where I need to be on a tree, but I can always be better. And that's what I always constantly work on and also drive the car and keep it in the groove. And, uh, 
and we're going to constantly work as a team, not as individuals, as a team to be better as a whole. And I like our chances as we go into the middle of the season. We wanted to do this last year, but we had a short race season. So now we're just taking off to where we should have been at in the middle of last year if we had a normal race season where we're at right now. So we still got a lot of growth going on. And it's going to be tough, Brian. It's going to be tough because all these other teams are going to just get stronger and better. But uh, I, I like that challenge. That's what makes makes me step up and makes our team step up the rise to that occasion. Amen to that, man. Hey, congratulations on the win last weekend. Have a great Mother's Day with uh, with your wife and family this weekend. And I look forward to, uh, thankfully, just a little short break before we get to Charlotte. And then we get to go race in week uh, back-to-back Charlotte, then Houston. So, Antron, congratulations, man. Thanks for taking some time today. And uh, have a great short off week. I appreciate it, Brian. I look forward to it. And I look forward to seeing everybody at the four wide nationals in Charlotte, man. And uh, it's going to be interesting, man. I, I just can't wait to get out and race it. You bet. Thank you, man. All right. Take care. Always great to talk to Antron Brown, certainly a guy who has not had any decline in his own personal performance, and his team has raised their own performance bar to meet head-on with Steve Torrance in that final and beat him was a perhaps a signature moment of their season. We'll find out how it translates at the four wide nationals. In the making of this show, during the making of this show, NHRA has announced that Bristol has been added back to the schedule. So October 15th to the 17th in Bristol, Tennessee, the NHRA will be running the Thunder Valley Nationals. That is a great uh, announcement, a great news piece of news for the season. Conversely, there was some tough news in, in that uh, announcement as well, which was the fact that the Virginia Nationals, <clears throat> slated to happen the first weekend in June, have been postponed and will be moved till later in the season. The reason being the current uh, capacity restrictions the state of Virginia has on outdoor events. So in order to uh, go back over that, Bristol has been added to the schedule October 15th through the 17th in Tennessee, of course. And then the Virginia Nationals slated to happen the 5th, 6th, and 7th of June have been postponed to a later date. Hopefully they will be able to fall somewhere later in the season likely in the fall time frame. We'll have to be keeping an eye on those things as we go forward, but the good news is for you fans in the Bristol, Tennessee area, we're going to be racing at Thunder Valley, one of the most picturesque and challenging drag strips in the country, and one that now is a part of the NHRA Countdown of the Championship, a place that has never had in the schedule. It will effectively be the third-to-last race of the year coming after Dallas. If only The only two races following Bristol will be Vegas and Pomona, so that is going to be really something different for our teams, and it should be bad fast up there in the mountain when we're not racing during the uh, hot summer or late fall time frame we normally compete at that event during. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Podcast. Some late-breaking news there at the very tail end of the show, but always great to catch up with Bob Tasker III, who's playing that hot hand in the Nitro Funny Car category, and Antron Brown, currently second in the top fuel points. Greg Anderson continues to dominate in Pro Stock, and, well, Pro Stock Motorcycle continues to be wide open with the third winner in three races happening out there at the race we just had in Atlanta Dragway. Scotty Polachek will be on NHRA.com this week. We're going to catch up with him for a Skype. Make sure you're checking out NHRA's social media channels for those interviews. Really looking forward to seeing everybody at Charlotte at the Four Wide Nationals. It's going to be spectacular and we'll see you right here again next week on the NHRA Insider Podcast with a fresh slate of guests. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening. <laughs>